poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, on Friday, it is a very philosophical day. I'm joined by Duncan Palamortis. Duncan, how are you doing? Fine, sir. Very well, good, sir. How's everything with you? Everything is quite well. I'm excited about today's topic. It's something that I've invested a lot of energy into, which, uh, you know, it's a question of what is... What are the ingredients needed for the recipe of crafting a winning poker player? Um, what traits do we find um, in as commonalities of winning poker players? Uh, but before we get into today's topic, I know that there's been some discussion. We have now have a Philosophical Friday channel in Greatness Village, and folks are asking questions and giving feedback. And so... There was one in particular that uh, you wanted to address as it relates to last week's episode on angle shooting. Absolutely. And not only that, but actually they're expressing very interesting and well thought out opinions, right? So I wanted to give shout out to Matt, who had this very interesting post, post with like great opinions and, and great questions. And I wanted to address some of these, but uh, also I would also like to say that if anybody has, again, any thoughts, any questions, you know, uh, social media, you know, well, YouTube, wherever you can find us, you know, feel free as always, you know, respectfully so that, you know, we can have a, a respectful conversation. It's easier to go back and forth that way, but yeah. Greatnessvillage.com. If you want to hop into the village and join that, uh, that channel as well, that's the easiest place to get direct answers and feedback from both Duncan and myself. That's, that's right. And uh, once again, uh, shout out to, to Matt in this wonderful post. And he went through a lot of a lot of different points, you know, uh, uh, that uh, certain things, for example, how uh, the it, it can be difficult. And he mentioned some things how it, for the it's it's um, that the players depend on people enforcing the rules like the dealers and things like that. And I would I would totally uh, agree with that. Um, he he also asked um, questions like specifically, for example, the Barry incident. For those of you who don't know, there was an incident where you know a player was looking at Barry's cards over at uh, um, Hustler Casino, Casino Live, Live yeah. right? And uh, he, he asked a very important question, like, "What would you say he shouldn't have been banned?" Uh, and um, also, he asked another question of, of the of the type, you know, Duncan. You, on the one hand, you said it's our responsibility to protect our cards, but then on the same breath, you said, "Oh, I, you know, if somebody was looking at their card, I, I could, I was able to look at the cards. I would, I would tell them. I would give them uh, a, uh, a a fair warning." And he's like, "Why would you do that? Isn't that because you try to be ethical about it?" It's, and it's an excellent question, and and I, I think it's very subtle. Like the, what I was trying to say. Uh, last week is, is incredibly subtle. Uh, there's two opposing forces, which I feel they're very dangerous. One force would be um, the us being dragged into what, what I would call universal morality. That is the idea that somehow we know what should 
<laughs> is what the casino should do in a certain situation or what a player should do in a, in, in a certain situation. So that is the number one thing that I'm trying to avoid. I'm trying to avoid that due to meta-humility, right? So the, the way I like to say it is that meta-humility doesn't allow for universal mor morality, right? So on the one hand, it's, it's what we sometimes call with Brad, uh, truth with capital T. It's very difficult, if not flat out impossible, to have some sort of like a universally accepted rule set for any of these questions, which I think is a very important problem. On the other side of the spectrum, though, we have because we have to be careful, we have the potential uh, uh, nihilism or what people would call moral relativism, which is basically essential air philosophical ideas I don't necessarily aspire to, even though they cannot necessarily be refuted either. Like nobody can refute nihilism philosophically, for example. But I, I don't necessarily aspire to nihilism, and I don't want to go there either. I don't want to just say that, you know what, you guys do whatever the hell you want. This is not exactly what I'm saying. So we're, we're, we're trapped between a, a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, I don't believe in universal morality. On the other hand, we have nihilism, everything goes. So where should, what should we do? And this is what I call, personally, I call it local morality. And what local morality is, uh, and local morality can be both temporal and spatial, meaning it can be um, both over time and over different locations, that means that in different situations and different circumstances, certain moral rules apply, which may be ethical for that specific group in space and in time, but it, it is no longer ethical in, in the past or in the future or in a different space or time. Like, and we don't have to go to extreme examples, like you know, slavery, for example, to see that our morals have evolved over time. It, we, we can be more subtle things like you know, uh, the fact that... Uh, People say thank you more often these days or less often in certain situations or people are, you know, more intimidated or more annoyed or more triggered, <laughs> you know, in certain circumstances or in certain in certain parts of the world. And so to be, for more polarizing examples, you know, we can look to like sports, for instance, and, mm -hmm. and we just talked about this today, how like pine tar in baseball, where, you know, it, it's the substance that you rub on the baseball that gives you better grip. And pitchers have been using some form of pine tar or Vaseline forever. And, and then over time, um, for whatever reason, they started enforcing the rule. It's always been a rule, but they only started enforcing it once like the culture changed, changed right? Um, and, and then steroids in baseball, right? In the 90s, I think it's pretty clear that MLB did not care about steroids. If they did care, they wouldn't have had the problem that they had. Um, and then sort of retroactively, like the players that went you know, played through that uh, time period, like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they're not going to be in the Hall of Fame, even though they are Hall of Fame caliber players, right? So anyway, just sort of for those polarizing examples of just a culture shift and how things change over time is that it's, it's very obvious, given the benefit of hindsight, like what we think should have happened. However, in that time, in that moment, it, it was a different rule set. People's ideologies Correct. were quite different. And this is very important, right? If we don't have that rule in place, we can easily act like a totalitarian regime, right? Because we think we hold whatever is the universal truth at that moment, and we're going to stay stagnant. So it's very important for us to maintain that flexibility on our morals. I think that it's incredibly important. That being said, we still need to be able to act in a certain way uh, to communicate with other people. So I think Matt's points are actually on point and very important when he asks questions like, what should the casino do? Uh, the only way, the, the only thing that I would change in that question is that 
what can the casino do now? I would replace the word should because I don't believe in that word should. There's no such thing as should. Is that practically, what is the local morality? That, that, that's the question that I would ask. What does the community at this point feel? And, I, and, and with that regard, I think the, the casino actually acted perfectly because most people cringed. It, it was clear that most people cringed at the, at the, react, at the action of the player looking at Barry's cards. And uh, the casino is in operation and they have a profit to make and they wanna keep people happy. So it's in their best interest. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It is the, in their best interest to ban that player because they wanna create and promote an idea of fair play, an idea of, 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 of a safe environment. Is that the right thing to do? I will never say that, neither right nor wrong, because I don't, again, I don't believe in those absolute absolute terms. Um, well, and also- yeah, Because we could say, okay, if we make this as a rule, right? Well, if I'm sitting next to say Garrett mm -hmm. and I just start, I pick up my cards and I hold them in front of me and I see that he's looking like, oh, Garrett's looking at my cards, ban him for life, right? Like it's obvious that like, such a rule could be manipulated to the detriment of the game. And so there, there has to be room for some kind of nuance. Of course, exactly. Absol absolutely correct. And then it also comes down to the, to the issue, you know, um, which brings me to Matt's uh, second question, you know, uh, why do we do the things that we do, right? I mean, why do you decide to look at the cards or not look at the cards, right? I mean, there's several reasons, like you said, I mean, you know, just because you did once, then you forever be the guy who, who looked at his cards. So you have to take into account. I mean, you're televised, you have to take into account. Now he was asking me why, if, even though you think it's their responsibility, why would you give up that edge? And there's a million answers where you would do that because at the moment, maybe you like the person or maybe the person is, is disabled. That has happened to me several times where they're having trouble looking at their cards. I mean, clearly this is a situation where we, we want to, I, I want to say clearly for me, right? Not for other people. I wanted to make that person clearly for me. I wanted to make the person more welcome to seek to see that the poker table. So there's a lot of reasons why we want that. And also, if, if I were to, to give one more hot take, because as if I haven't given enough hot takes, like I truly believe that everything we do has a some sort of manipulation motive. I don't mean an ulterior motive. Like I don't think that uh, it's, it's possible for people to do something for the sake of doing it. There's, we do something because we have a reason for it. And then you can call that reason manipulation, right? So it's just how you call things. Like for example, you it's buy- incentive to me. Incentive, exactly. You, you buy your wife chocolate, you know, you love her, of course, but there is there's a reason why you do that. You want to create a nice environment. To me, that's manipulation. That's a form of manipulation, but it's a good manipulation. So there could be good manipulation and bad manipulation. So even though, you know, it may feel like, you know, these these uh, these acts are always have an ulterior motive, and it's actually true, that ulterior motive could be a better presence at the table, a better environment, a better social situation. And, and just before we move on to the topic at hand, um, this interested me a, a while back. Uh, we use the word moral, and mm -hmm. I just looked up the definition of moral. Like, what is morality, right? And um, according to the Oxford Dictionary, I pulled it up here, it's a lesson, especially one concerning what is right or prudent that can be derived from a story, a piece of information, or an experience. And when you look at it from that framing, a story, a piece of information, or an experience, it's quite easy to see that morals are not universal. They are person to person. Right. And so our rationale for each decision or whatever it is that we hold moral, um, it, it can be quite shocking, I think, in some cases where in different cultures, 
they have a quite a d- different definition of what is moral than, say, we do in the United States or the majority of humans do in the, uh, in the United States. And that can be shocking and jarring, but the reality is it's based on their experience, uh, based on their information, based on their stories. Um, and so that's sort of why yeah, that when you're saying should, what should they do, it, it's hard to find the capital T truth because morality is subjective um, ultimately. But I, I'm on board with you, though, that I do think that it was all the incentives aligned in that specific situation to ban that specific player for what happened. Right, um, right. But, but I, I think Matt's point is actually very, very good one, because essentially, and this is this often happens when people are thinking about those things. I mean, he was right. He was very eloquent and then essentially saying, I was thinking about those things. And and what, what what's speaking right right now is good intentions, right? And he's asking, essentially, if I were to rephrase his question, and, and, I, and Matt, if you're listening, I don't mean to paraphrase you in any way, but one way I could rephrase your questions are, how can we interpret the current local morality and then find a solution that will keep most of the audience of today happy with what happened? So I know that's a very long way of saying what do we think is the right thing for this moment at this you know place in in the world that will keep most most of the players happy right. a, a, as we perceive the world and, and I that, think that's for that's a company. good question yeah that, that's, that's for the that, company. that's for the company and then from from a player's perspective like the reason that I personally wouldn't do it is because uh, based on my own morality. I don't think it's good and it causes me internal anguish and that is not worth the edge gained by looking at someone else's cards. And so like absolutely for other human beings and I'm not even, it's not even wrong, right or wrong, right? Like this is just my subjective experience. Um, and how, especially how when you're being televised, you know, <laughs> no, no to self. Yeah. That's, do uh, probably, probably <laughs> not the right environment to go about it. Um, even if that is your moral code when, Everybody has a record and can see and rewind. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, and he also mentioned one more thing that we should probably To be fair, more. though, if that is yeah. your moral code, it shouldn't matter if you're on TV. You just fucking go for it, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> but there are consequences. There clearly. are consequences, exactly. Which is, uh, and he also brought, brought another subtle point, and that was, you know, uh, with Mike Postle, right? Uh, is it is it the player's responsibility that they, they got cheated? And... Uh, and we have to again. There's there's a lot of nuance in that in that question. Now, when we're getting into a car, and eventually we get into a car accident, that it's not our fault. Is it or is it not our responsibility? I would say it depends on what level we're looking at. If we're looking at the level of you know cars involve car accidents, then the, at the moment we get into a car, we can get you know anything can happen. You know, like you can get hit by a lightning because you know cars get hit by lightning sometimes. So that's a risk, whether we know it or not, it's a risk that we're taking. Similarly, you know, you can sit at the poker table and somebody theoretically can murder you. So if somebody murders you, that's a risk that is there. It's not very likely, but it's there. So similarly, you know, when you play poker, there's a risk that you are going to be cheated. In that sense, we have responsibility for all of these risks. That being said, you know, if we do end up being cheated or, you know, there's violence at the poker table or any of those things that we sort of like, you know, hope that are not going to happen, we can fight back, right? Just because we have responsibility for those things, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to avoid car accidents. It doesn't mean we shouldn't avoid violence and should avoid all of those ne- negative things. But I do still believe it's 100%. We should take 100% responsibility for all the actions that we're making, every single action, because all of those risks 
are incorporated in those actions. And we cannot expect other people to protect us. Now, if they've made that promise to us, we should fight back, which is the reason why people, you know, when they get cheated, they should fight super hard back, you know, to basically be made whole again. But that doesn't mean they're not responsible. <laughs> no, no, not that, not at the highest level, right? I mean, All that's, right. That's, I'm not going to open those can of worms. We're going to leave <laughs> leave the discussion at that, else we're going to be doing a, yeah, a part two of last week. Um, sure. So the components, you know, the ingredients of a successful poker player. Um, the first question, I guess, to, to start untangling here is like, what is a successful poker player? What is a winning poker player? How would you define that? And I'll throw the ball to you. Oh, well, well, thank you. But I also have, I've been talking for, I don't know, for the past five minutes at least. So I want to throw the ball back at you. You know, what <laughs> do you think? And I'm going to be specific. I'm going to just help you a little bit with a question. What do you think are uh, some of the things that winning poker players do repeatedly? Uh, what are the, some of the things that you think winning poker players avoid to do? And how do you think they improve over time? And what would you say overall? I mean, to, yeah. and the question is a winning poker player. Yeah. So starting with, you know, what is a winning poker player? I would say the first thing to me, it's someone who is a net positive over the hours that they play poker. So I don't care really how they spend their money. I don't care if they go blow it in the pit. If they win money uh, over the course of time through playing poker, um, then that to me is a winning poker player. Uh, the period of time um, to me would be on the longer side uh, so there, I guess there's this element of time. Uh, again, that's somewhat subjective, but basically, basically within a sample size that gives us a high degree of confidence that they're making money, they're when more than zero point zero one cents per hour would be a winning poker player. Um, and yeah, anything you have to add there? No, just a follow up question: is is a, a a winning poker player necessarily a good poker player? No. Okay. So, no. I think like poker is a game where you're measured by the quality of competition that you play against. Mm -hmm. And if everybody is at an exceptionally low quality and you are at a low quality, well, you're probably going to win money, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're uh, a great uh, technical or highly skilled poker player. I agree with that 100%. I often joke that, you know, uh, Alex's best uh, counter strategy to GTO is to change the table, right? So sometimes you just have to, uh, table selection is part of the skill, I would say, that make people win, winning, winning poker players. And what would you say are some of the, the habits uh, of uh, winning poker players and maybe some of them, you know, transfer to other areas of life? Uh, what are some of the things that poker players do and also winning poker players do and also avoid doing? Um. I think this is like such a such a big question, mm -hmm. um, and there's. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, if if the, if the goal is to get me to talk for a long time, I think we are accomplishing that goal. Um, so, I think the first the first thing that comes to mind is, I believe that one component is curiosity. I think mm -hmm. that the strongest poker players that I know are insanely curious. Mm -hmm. They're not dismissive of anything to the point of being very annoying, mm -hmm. um, where it's like something happens that's kind of unexpected or weird, even if it's you know a bad player that does it. And 
you know, something unexpected happens, right? Like, uh, somebody like, uh, Phil Helmuth. So this is like an, an example, like Phil Helmuth right. loves like flopping a set and check raising the turn minimal. Right. <laughs> and everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? But like, something right but like yeah. if it keeps working and making yeah. and people will like bet three bet or bomb right. off or do weird right. things against it right then right. It, it merits investigation it's like wow that's weird and it's not something that i do but i do see there are some good things that are coming from that so in what scenario could i uh incorporate that into my own game right or against what specific profile um and, and basically so so that is one thing of like something happened it's odd Let's investigate it, right? If somebody calls with a hand that's like unexpected that we feel like they shouldn't have called with, well, let's investigate why with curiosity, right? Instead of being angry and yelling at them for, you know, quote unquote, making a bad call, let's ask ourselves, you know, what made them do that? And I, I think that's especially powerful when you see, when it happens um, with a player that is beyond your current skill level, right? When they do something that is just like, whoa, I did not expect that. It's it, it typically merits investigation because most likely they have information that you do not have, and that information you can use to upgrade your game. So, like curiosity, big trait, um, very very important trait. I, I think um, there has to be this natural resilience to poker players. They need to be uh, able to have a bad outcome and do the same thing again a hundred times in a row despite 10 bad outcomes in a row, they just need to be able to withstand that and understand that, you know, this hand that we play is simply one part of all the hands that I ever play in poker. Um, and when at the end of the day, uh, you put all those hands together, you keep making good decisions, you win money, like good things happen, the, the more decisions that you make. So I think those are the two that kind of spring to mind. Uh, I think uh, natural some natural things, um, people who understand the utility of all the different actions. I think this is something that is quite, uh, <laughs> it, it's quite important. And also something that is not often talked about is like, yes, there is utility in calling and there is utility in checking and there is utility in raising. Um, and there is utility in betting. And what is the utility of all of these actions? Like what is actually happen happening here and how do we deploy it? So yeah, just understanding all the tools at your disposal. And then also people who naturally win at poker, um, I think they tend to be aggressive. So they tend to bluff a lot, sort of naturally. They tend to call a lot when they think villains are bluffing. Um, maybe those two go hand in hand because they kind of project themselves onto other people like, oh, I would bluff here. So therefore I call, right? Um, so I think that's a natural trait that really helps people out. Uh, and I'm sure I can think of some more, but now I've been talking for a while, so I'll throw the no, ball no. back to you. That's that's good, and and, and immediately, you know, you're, you're saying all those things, and uh, and and I would say also on uh, the the curiosity aspect of it, you know, and sometimes they know how to curb their own curiosity, right? Because uh, the, the curiosity can get the, the the better of you sometimes when you know, like, oh, does villain have it or it doesn't have it? Well, you don't necessarily need to see that specific hand. If you have other things that uh, tell you that maybe you know the villain is strong that that time, right? So they don't need to call every river to make sure they're they're you know uh, they're, they're getting all of the sure. information. Yeah, right. um, and uh, you're absolutely correct. And uh, uh, I would just add to that maybe you know like uh, uh, consistency, hard work ethic. That's that's also important. And and I would say also emotional intelligence. 
because it, it is important to understand people. And, and you, you mentioned that many, many times before, right? I mean, how, the, the importance of understanding, uh, understanding people around you, especially in a live setting and uh, what makes people tick, uh, it is uh, it is more important to um, to you know uh, uh, it, 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 it's more important to be winning than being good you know to to those to those people. This is something that we discussed in the past also, right? I mean, that sometimes people they want to they they um, and and, I, and I, sorry, I, I I misphrased it. I meant it is more important to win than to be right. Right, because sometimes people they just want to prove themselves so hard that they're right, you know, that they just argue over a certain thing and they just don't necessarily they they miss the forest for the trees, you know, like they they pick up you know uh, pens in front of a steamroller, you know, they just wanna wanna win the argument of like the GTO play and there's like this very simple line in front of them and they just don't want to take it. So it is important to be pragmatic and you know good with people and understand what people they, who have hard opinions like that don't in my experience, don't fare too well. When, agree you're, with that. when you're playing 25 and L and you have a very strong opinion and a player who's playing like 1K and L gives feedback and you're just arguing to the end of the world and not asking yourself, wow, maybe I should be open to what this human is saying. Okay. I think that is a, that, that's a trait that will uh, cause you much suffering, misery, cap your potential, um, it's just bad overall. So like this re receptivity, but again, I, I think that kind of ties into curiosity as well, where it's For like, sure. instead of being, uh, trying to like, just defend a point, you're instead asking questions like, wow, why, why does that happen? Uh, on the other side, what's interesting is somebody that's never receptive to any feedback on one end uh -huh. of the spectrum is, is doesn't fare too well. The person on the other end of the spectrum that is receptive to all feedback doesn't fare too well either. Uh you, you reminded me, you reminded me of something that I, you know, I think there's two uh, types of, 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 of people who are going to have trouble being winning at poker. Those who question nothing and those who question everything, right? Because it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, what's interesting is that people who came before us, you know, they, they tried some things. They already have made some of the mistakes we're about to make, right? So we have a lot to learn from people in the past, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about the, in the past, we talk about Plato, you know, we, we may disagree about some of the things, may look a little bit totalitarian to, to, to the way we think today, but he had a lot of things to teach us about the way that we're thinking back then and, and a lot of things to learn for, for today. And similarly, previous poker players, previous successful poker players, we have a lot to learn. At the same time, if we don't question anything, then it cannot really become our own, right? Because you gotta struggle. There's some mistakes that we have to make because if we don't make those mistakes, it doesn't really become our own experience, right? It, it, we're living somebody else's life. We're playing somebody else's poker game. And then we, we don't get to grow from, from all of this, right? So there needs to be that, that curiosity that you're talking about, right? I mean, there needs to be some questioning. Oh, and uh, um, Well, that, that ties into like all, you know, really our, our thoughts on like, uh, morality earlier, right? Where it's like something that could have been good 10 years ago. Right. Doesn't, it isn't necessarily good today. It may in fact be quite bad right. because you are playing against human beings. And like the reality is that you're constantly learning about human beings, how they tick, how they act. Um, and 40 years ago, say in whatever year that was like the eighties, I guess, uh, mm -hmm. in the super system days, 
like maybe some of the things in in super system very much apply today and then some of them do not apply at all or our tools for learning and discovery have improved our ability to do um to analyze data has just gone up across the board but i will say this about like you know you mentioned plato so like that's like a foundation right that we all kind of operate from and like poker's the same where we operate from this foundation that's built from these pioneers who through trial and error learned about poker and taught their experiences to other people and then it it's not enough to just say oh i'm satisfied these are the answers right no that's the starting point you, you layer on top of that um to the best of your ability and, and that is just ongoing in poker and in indefinite in my opinion is this constant learning iterating iterating and then layering um because you know i've been immersed in the world of poker strategy maybe more than i mean i'm not going to say every human being on the planet but most human beings on the planet for the past year um simply because i haven't played much and all i've done is research and think and strategize and analyze um and there's a billion places that I can upgrade. There, there's a billion blind spots that I have and a billion areas that I would love to explore. Um, and Absolutely. so th there's a podcast that hasn't come out yet that is kind of annoying for right now because this one's going to come out before that one, even though that one was recorded before this one. Uh, it's with Chris Sparks. And you know we were talking about GTO and how to say that Solver says to do this, therefore I do this, is you think that you've done a lot of work in coming to this conclusion, but it's actually a very lazy way to play poker because you're not taking into consideration any other data point that can cause that solve to adjust, which by the way, of course it will cause the solve to adjust. And like a very practical or simple example of something like that is say, you know, you have your cutoff opening range, you're playing live poker and you see that the guy directly on your left has pre-folded, right? right? They, they've already folded right. pre-flop, right? So right. should you still open your cutoff range or should you now open your button range? Of course you should Where's open button? your button range, right? right? Because so so anyway, like despite that not being uh, what the solver says, if the solver knew that that player's folding, it would tell they you to open the button. Too. It, it would have adjusted too, right? So, exactly. so it's our responsibility to not be lazy and still make these sort of Absolutely. in the moment uh, adjustments. Um, and, and I think that's another sort of, component to successful poker players. They, they don't tend to be lazy. They tend to want to find uh, the lower T truth with mm -hmm. all of their heart and then try to disprove that lower T truth right. with all of their heart as well. Right. And, and this is a very important point, right? I mean, this ties up to some very big ideas and to, you know, to paraphrase and possibly misquote Charlie Munger, one of the things that he usually says is that the only way I can counter a specific argument that I hear is if first I can actually argue on the other side first. I've read everything about the other side. I understand it 100% up to the nuance so I can actually take finally the, the other side. And this is essentially the homework. This is the the, the, the double Ds, right? Due diligence, right? You, you have to, to read before you go and, and, and take any side. You just have to do all the proper, all the proper research. And this applies to, 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 to poker, to everything. Like, you know, it, it applies to science too. One classic example uh, that, that I like to give when it comes to science, for example, is Einstein's general theory of relativity. He didn't just 
take, you know, Newton's theory of gravity and say, ah, what Newton, what the hell did he know? That, that dumb, dumb, you know, let's throw it out of the window. Instead, what he did, he took that theory and he upgraded it in, in, in a certain sense. It's still there, which is, you know, the, the reason why a lot, of, a lot of people who do science as a hobby, that's what the, the, the number one thing that they forget. They forget that their theories need to implement or at least need to address everything else that has been done before. This is important. If yeah. we really want to talk about GTO, that's great. We just have to understand exploitable standard strategies nearly perfectly so that we can say why we can throw them out of the window, right? And that's perfectly okay. And usually some of the best GTO users are those who understand exploitable strategies very, very, very well. And they're very well aware of all of these uh, nodes adjustments, as they're called, like node locking sometimes it's called, right? The idea that, you know, once you have more information, sometimes the GTO solution collapses to something almost trivial, right? I mean, fold 100%, you know, or like bet 100% or something like that once you get extra information. It's the uncertainty that creates those mixed strategies. Right, uh, and we could, you know, we could go back to uh, like our first episode, I believe it was on GTO, where, you know, game theory optimal to me um, is fluid. And mm -hmm. based on the different data points and inputs that you have, the game theory optimal strategy will change. And, and so again, if you're not adjusting, if you're not doing everything you can to understand the mistakes that humans actually make, then you're just being lazy, right? Um, and, and by the way, there's a, a nice TED talk on what you said about understanding everything that comes like before. Uh, and it, it was a one on, it was about a toaster if you Google it. I can't remember the exact name of it, oh, but it was... Yeah, it was about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And, um, you know, the guy, there was this thought that, like, if he goes back in time from present day, that he'll be like a god because of all his knowledge and all of his yeah, information. Right, right. right. And, yeah, and he realized that, like, yeah, yeah he, re he, he told himself, like, well, actually, I need all of humanity um, to, yeah. to be anything in, right. in this time period. And, like, left to my own devices, I can't even figure out how to Talk make a to toaster. You. Right, right, right. And so what he did was he went, he spent a year trying to make a toaster um, mm -hmm. and learned that over time, actually like the, the early methods of like making steel and melting it had been lost. They don't, right. they, like they don't even understand. know right. what they've built on top of over time, right. which anyway, it, it's just like a, an interesting parallel that like um, we're all in our own way standing on the shoulders of giants. Giants, right. And we have to appreciate that and take what they've given us, these gifts, and build on top of those. Exactly. And, and this, is, this, is, this is the very important part, right? I mean, it's, uh, it would be arrogance to, to do it otherwise. And yet, here is the, the irony of it all, right? In order to push that knowledge forward, there are situations where we must defy some of these ideas. But in order to defy an idea, we first need to understand it very well. So it takes a lot of studying you know, to be able to be at the, at, at the forefront, right? And, 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 and just one quick anecdote, you know, it's not like Einstein was like sitting, you know, on his office, like playing video games, you know, which were not invented back in, <laughs> but regardless, but it, it wasn't like he, he wasn't doing anything. He was actually a very uh, successful researcher of science, right? He was, just because he was a, a clerk office at the time, it didn't mean he wasn't active with the scientific community, right? So it's not like people out of, no, people have this fantasy sometimes that you can come out of nowhere and invent something out of nowhere, but yeah. that 
that doesn't will, happen. Will hunting it, basically. Will hunting it, yeah, which is, <laughs> yeah, um, we can talk about that movie. But here's a question for you. Yeah. Can everyone be a winning poker player? That's what I want to know. Can everyone be a winning poker player? So can everyone? So let me rephrase. Please. Uh, can everyone, does everyone have the potential to be a winning poker player? Would be the more interesting question to me. Okay. Yes. Um, so, I mean, God, so, so like we've talked about it on Philosophical Friday before, right? Like the, right. the, the obvious answer is no, mm-hmm. simply because all you need to find is one person right. to disprove it, right? And right. we could just say, well, what if there's someone that doesn't have, you know, like a, say they have a mental handicap, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something there. Um, and they just aren't capable. So, so I mean, yeah, there, there are human beings that I think are, are incapable of being winning poker players just because. Or, you know, a, a two-year-old who can't speak yet, right? Like, right. they're probably not going to be a winning poker player, and they are a human being. So right. the answer is no. However, I would say I, I believe that most people could. Most mm-hmm. rational human beings could, given that they have the right training and mm-hmm. resources. Um, which is a pretty important caveat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's my opinion as a poker coach, as a trainer and communicator um, of people. I do believe that, I believe while maybe not everyone can be a winning poker player, I believe that the general poker community overestimates the level of intelligence that you need to achieve to be a winning poker player quite mm-hmm. significantly. I think most of the opinions that I hear on this topic, I, I tweeted this a while ago. It was quite controversial. Um, uh, there were lots of people who, you know, laughed at me for saying mm-hmm. that I thought anybody with the right training could be a winning poker player. Um, what's interesting about that is most people who commented and replied probably have never even tried to train someone sure. to be a winning poker player mm-hmm. in the first place, right? Which is like an interesting thing of like, ah, you scoff, and yet it's not a thing you've ever even tried, and yet. I've spent the last three years of my life specifically mm-hmm. on this one thing. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll ask your opinion now, but I'm, I'm an optimist. And mm-hmm. I think that like, yeah, you can teach like things like preflop strategy are teachable and learnable. And that in get in some very easy or soft game is pretty much enough to make you a winning player. Right. Uh, so I, I, I love how you dissected that question. I think this is this is an excellent way, right? I mean, again, we we have to uh, to ask exactly what do we mean, for example, by human being. Like, should we get the, the two year olds in there? I, I love this. This is this is very very relevant. And and you also mentioned poker training, and I and I and I, and I agree with that. Uh, and actually, you're not the only one who 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 Warren Buffett, in some sense, agrees with you, right? Because he says the same thing about investing. He says one of the Things that he says all the time is that you don't need many IQ points to be a successful investor. Now, I would I would take the other side on this, and I would take the other side so sort of heavily. And, and, and here's why: I think I agree with you that once somebody gets proper training, uh, they can they can do wonders. The problem is, you know, similar to Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours, the outliers. The problem is, how do you get someone to get to the ten thousand hours? Right? That's that's much harder than it sounds like a lot of people 
uh, are in the situation where they have failed before they even began. Because like you said, you said it in your own in your own answer, right? There's people who haven't even tried. And I think part of the reason they haven't even tried is because something inside them tells them not to. And and I know that in in, in a some some abstract way, and I and I and I I believe that sometimes too. I'm, I'm an educator. I don't wanna like often I tell to my <laughs> students, you know, 90% of you are gonna fail, but I will never tell you which ones are gonna be because I don't know, right? But I, I don't believe, you know, like if you ask me to bet. You know, like I would bet against the group, right? Every time, and it's a successful bet. I mean, it wins over and over again. But I will never tell any student specifically, you're going to be the one, because I don't know. I don't know like what you're capable of. But time no. and time again, <laughs> you see that in the numbers, right? The numbers, the numbers, uh, numbers are failing. Just one, one last sentence, if you don't mind. The, uh, the issue that, that, that I'm having is that there is, even though I, I take this, uh, if you will, romantic view sometimes, I think that in our definition, we should incorporate the hindrance of getting started. Like if we do get started, then some people will be successful for sure. But shouldn't we incorporate the fact that some people will not get started? Isn't that part of what prevents them? Sure. Um, and that was, I think that that statement was more for um, people trying to teach someone else how to play poker, right? right. It was more for like the on the educational side, I would say that the major hindrance here is that like, so uh, if someone had me 24 hours a day to mentor them in poker, I am quite confident that, I, that they would be a winning player over time. I'm quite confident. However, that's not feasible uh, for right. everyone to have me as their mentor because I'm only one person and I have to sleep and interact right. with other humans, right? So like... I think that there is a bottleneck there. Um, but yeah, I think that if you're obsessed and you genuinely try to learn and you're earnest and you work hard towards it, like, man, it is really hard for me to believe that somebody can't beat one, two live. Right. No right. right. Like, I, I know, I know what you mean. Really by the way, by the way, hard. I would take that bet. If somebody stayed with you, I would take that bet hundred percent. Like uh, your side of the bet. I mean, that you, yeah, the, right. The, the question is, would they stay with you? Would they stay with me? I, I, I don't know. Um, without you forcing them to stay with you, right? I mean, because that, like, <laughs> what reality is this where right. I'm forcing somebody to get coaching? Right. No, <laughs> no, I mean, stick, it's, stick right here. We, um, we gotta win this bet, right? I mean, it's we can do everything we can. No. Um, um, so, do you think that they would stick with you? Like, I'm just curious. Like, do you think, like, if you were to take like a a completely like arbitrary person, or another way of saying is, if you were to take like hundred people scattered around the world. How many of those people you think, even though you were like with them 24-7, what percentage of them, you know, you think would 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 give up? Just say, you know what, uh, Brad, this is this is not for me. I just had enough. I don't I don't want to do it. 90%. Okay. Maybe okay. 95. Okay, I I, I, um, I agree with that. Yeah. Once just, once they see how hard it is, then they just kind of melt and, right. and fall fall apart. Right. So, so, so again, we have a definitional issue, right? So I, I think we both agree, right? I mean, it's, do we incorporate that 95% as a failure or do we just look at the conditional probability that those 5% who stayed, they will, they will succeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. Before we, we close down, I, I did look up this quote, uh, because I, we used it in the wolves just the other day, but le learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. Um, I think that, <laughs> I love that that applies, you know, to understanding the situation. Like once you understand all the rules, then you're allowed to 
adjust and break them and explore. Um, final final thing here, one last component that I just realized. I, I do think that you kind of need to be batshit crazy um, as well. I think that's a good ingredient for a poker player or an aspiring professional, successful winning poker player. You have to be a little bit insane um, right. to make it in this game over the long run. I agree because a variance is just... Uh... Uh, it, it, it's just crazy and, and be able to, to withstand the thing that we're not wired to do it. And now, be able to do something that you believe to be correct, despite all feedback from all the sources. That's another thing that I think um, the strongest poker players will do is they will say, you know what? Everybody's going to think this is stupid, but I believe this to be a fold. So I'm going to fold and you know, whatever, like judge me. Right. I don't, I don't care. Um, right. I think that that sort of confidence is very essential to be like a, a higher level successful poker player. You just have to give no fucks about outside Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that because we were watching a hand with, uh, with, with my wife and it, uh, it was a very, a very interesting hand. Um, um, I think it was, uh, over at, uh, Cross Life Poker with Bart Hansen. I, I, I love Bart. He's a, a very intelligent player, very, very successful uh, at, at the poker table. Great advice. And I remember watching the hand. The hand was not particular. I mean, I, I remember the hand. So I believe it was like a, the, the cutoff. There were 200 big blinds deep. Uh, the cutoff opened to, they were playing 2-5. The cutoff opened to 20. Um, the, the, the button had uh, uh, ace-king of hearts, I believe it was. And... Uh, uh, they raised to 70, so they threw it at the button. Everybody else folds. So again, maybe going a little bit too fast. Cutoff opens to 20. Uh, button uh, three bets to 70. Uh, and the flop comes, queen, jack, eight, two spades, one heart. And they started talking about this, how the solvers sometimes they made, uh, uh, incidentally, the, the cutoff checks. They were talking about how solvers sometimes, because you have the bucked or flush to, to go with your gut shot, sometimes, you know, maybe the, the, the solvers suggest, you know, like checking back because what's going to happen if you get raised and things like that. And I was like, all of that very interesting. And then for, you know, the, the guy on the button decides to bet 60, which is, which is absolutely fine in my book. There's like, uh, I believe the total amount was 100, 147 in the middle. So they bet 60 and they get check raised. It was a small check raise. I, I believe he raised to 170. And they were talking about it's only 110 more. They were thinking all those things. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, I don't like any other line than just folding there. You know, and, and it's, you know, I can understand it's cheap, but the things that they mistake, the amount of mistakes that you can make post-flop after that, you know, the, the ways you can convince yourself that maybe I have to make like a call later on and all, all of that stuff, your opponent at the very least has a, has a pair there. So in order for you to make this profitable, you should, if you miss, you should actually decide to, to, to fire on proper clean outs, like a clean, a clean turns and clean rivers. Um, and anyway, I mean, the, I don't yeah, sorry, think villain yeah. has, uh, I think their range is much stronger than a pair. Much stronger. I, I exactly. It's That's typically two pair plus. Um, I, I, so I, agree. I don't think your ace or king are really live. Um, exactly. And also exactly. the 10 puts up a four liner on the board. So it's not like a set's just going to pay you off. Um, I actually agree. I think folding right. is totally reasonable there, even though right. there's just not enough money to work with and villain's range is just way too strong. 
Exactly. And it's, it's just not worth it. You know, it's just not, that's, that's the point where it's not worth it. It doesn't matter, you know, what GTO is going to tell you, you're going to be exploited. You're just setting yourself up for failure in difficult decisions. And that's actually exactly what happened, right? I mean, uh, it's anyway, it, it, the, 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 <laughs> The, he, he called the flop came a four. Uh, it went uh, it went check bet small uh, uh, call, and then uh, the river was uh, another ten. Uh, and then the cutoff led out uh, small, and then Hero decided convinced themselves into into calling. And I'm like, you know, and of course they 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 lost. But the well, the river wasn't a ten because that would make give the button a straight. Uh, it was a 10. So the flop was queen 10, eight, unless I by accident oh, said something oh, else. I think you said queen, jack, eight. Okay. Queen, that, 10, eight. Uh, queen 10, eight, two spades. Yeah. I, okay, I may have okay. said, yeah, just, I so don't know what I'm it, saying it <laughs> It's hard, <laughs> all, you know. All when, the time. <laughs> well, to be fair, you speak so many languages, it's easy to get mixed up. Um, but yeah, so the board paired and they ended up paying off and calling down, which is the, that, that's right. the downstream mistakes uh that can come after calling right it's not all upside when you call because you can turn an ace and villain can bet and then you can call and you know there are lots of potential uh mistakes but i, I right. agree i agree Excellent. um yeah great uh conversation and yeah i got nothing left to say for this episode of philosophical friday so we will see you next week absolutely the only thing that i want to say if you really think you can be a winning poker player Go for it. Do not let anybody tell you otherwise. <laughs> Never Absolutely. tell me the odds, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree 100%. Right. We, we, we defy the odds. Other people can too. So nobody can tell you what you can and, and, and cannot do, even if it might be a mathematical correct bet for the world to bet against you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.